Welcome everyone to the uh, extended Appamata Cloud Zendo. Welcome to our, what feels to me like very precious time that we share on these Tuesdays. Let's begin with uh, a continued bit of sitting, which we've begun for the last five minutes, and let's continue now. As we sit in silence and stillness, allow your imagination to stitch together these hearts and minds, these um, bodies at distances who are somehow actually together. rather than focusing on just your personal experience, feelings, thoughts, open to the vast interconnected web of our shared existence, our shared sitting, our shared intention, and just feel it as life.
in order to offer our humble appreciation for this inconceivable life that we're actually living. I'll ring the bell and we'll offer the verse of the robe as that expression of, of gratitude. Vast is the robe of liberation, a formless field of benefaction. Wearing the universal teaching, I realize the one true nature, thus harmonizing all being. Vast is the robe of liberation, a formless field of benefaction. Wearing the universal teaching, I realize the one true nature, thus harmonizing all being. Vast is the robe of liberation, a formless field of benefaction. Wearing the universal teaching, I realize the one true nature, thus harmonizing all being. wish um, that, that I could say it's so good to see you. I think I'm longing for that, that feeling of having people right in front of me, beside me, around me, together. And I imagine some of you are too. I've had... Um, so many people reaching out to me during this time, asking, you know, a wide variety of questions and seeking uh, something. Um, that's in large part, I'm sure, why so many of you are, are here with the same sort of uh, longing to uh, connect, uh, to receive something that would be uh, nourishing and and comforting and uh, connecting in some way. A few years ago, after a retreat, one of the participants, uh, you know, had gone home and reflected on um, their experience at the retreat. And uh, it was a retreat here in Hawaii, actually. And then she wrote a letter after having spoken to one of her friends. And I'm sure many of you have had these kinds of experiences where you'll go home and people will say, how, how was it? You know, what happened? And you're mostly stumped to try to explain in a few words experiences that are uh, not captured easily by words. <clears throat> so this, this friend, um, this person wrote me after the retreat asking a question that her friend had posed to her in one of those kinds of conversations. And it has a few things in it, but let me, let me just read the portion of the question that I wanted to focus on today. Here's what she wrote in part. A friend recently asked me an important question and wondered if you could shed some light. She asked, 
what is the point of living? She wondered if all is perfect, then why create or manifest humanity? Are we trying to work through something? Which of course suggests imperfection. Perhaps you have a suggested reading, which I thought was an interesting, interesting part. So, you know, it's a little, a little cumbersome, but that, that question really captured me. What is the point in living and how do we face that question as humans? It's not what's the, the meaning of life, what's the reason, it's what's the, what's the point? And actually, I think it is the kind of question that moves through and underscores and amplifies the kinds of questions that I'm receiving these days. It's such an important question. You know, as we face unimaginable change, losses seemingly on every front, uh, the kind of swirl of fear and uncertainty we live with, the profound erosion of systems of care. And yet, we also see immense creativity in the face of all of this. And for many people, a deep commitment to shared generosity and basic goodness and much, much more. So what is the point? We sometimes ask, because it's so easy as we kind of veer between despair or nihilism on the one hand and fantasies of protection and the many forms of grasping hope on the other, clinging to something, giving up on everything. Is there a way to understand our everyday grounded practice as it relates to this huge question. Well, what is the point? And how does it bear on our lives now as we're meeting all of this? It's, it's the kind of question that underlies the very intimate question of the moment. What's the point of, and then just fill in the blank, voting, trying, speaking, listening, watching the, you know, it goes on and on, <clears throat> on and on, excuse me, chokes me up. But I also want to remind you that spiritual practice and Buddhist practice in particular is not a way to create some new forms of problem solving. Our practice and our practices, maybe this is more than just one thing, our practices help us open to more wise and more compassionate space so that we can respond creatively to the inevitable unending problems that a life brings. We wanna be more wise, we wanna be more compassionate. Zen practice is not gonna give you a new spiritual solution. It will, however, over time through practice, shape and inform you 
in the way that you come to every solution. And it will remind you over and over that every solution that you arrive at is provisional, is temporary. So our practices don't give us a solution. They shape the way solutions come to be and are let go of and reform. There's a, not a solution, but solving, responding. And sometimes people want <clears throat> to turn our practice into a new form of problem solving. <clears throat> Excuse me. Uh, so, and it's going to tell us then what to do. But it doesn't. It shapes our view. Or helps us shed our views. And helps us open to a more intimate and responsive way of functioning in the world. So with that as background, here's the letter I wrote back. I began, as to your friend's question, what is the point of living? The point is to live. The point is to live. We're given this amazingly miraculous thing called a life. So we have a responsibility to take care of it and to care for each other. In fact, to care for everything, all things that have been given a life. I don't have the capacity nor inclination to tackle the larger philosophical or theological issues surrounding your good question. People have been speculating about these big questions for as long as people have been given lives. And I sense that a good deal of the philosophizing is done out of a very vulnerable and fearful attempt to try to face the existential question of existence and to do so in a way that gives them some ground to stand on or some assurance that they're doing the right thing or somehow going in the right direction. In our spiritual searches, we want answers that will console us or at least ones that offer us something rather than nothing. The Buddha refused to answer most of these kinds of questions, not because they weren't important, but they were not the essential questions that would actually help inform and guide a life. The question you pose in your note, along with the additional query of, from your friend, and I'm quoting again, if it is all perfect, then why create or manifest humanity? <clears throat> Includes some pretty important assumptions. First, things are perfect, meaning everything is a perfect manifestation of all the causes and conditions that went into creating each thing, each moment. If you can see what's behind everything, you see that it's a perfect expression of what caused it. Things are not perfect in some ordinary way that we think of it. 
of matching human preference from a self-referenced perspective. Preference. Obviously, many terrible things happen, seemingly daily. And these are also perfect manifestations of the causes and conditions that went into manifesting them. And human beings are part of that perfection, part of that manifestation, not some separate aberration set aside from nature, which can be romanticized as perfect. Each of us are a perfect result of everything that went into making us. This is the foundation of the entire natural world, which we are embedded in. And it's also what we chant in the beginning of our service through confession and repentance. When we chant all our ancient twisted karma, all our ancient tangled karma from beginningless greed, hate, and delusion, born through body, speech, and mind, I now fully avow and we chant it as we, which is shared in the universal, all being now fully avows. We realize this unending connection from infinite past into an infinite future. But our lives on this earth are temporary and precariously balanced along with everything else. And we are likely to become perfectly extinct as a species if we continue to allow our self-centered minds and egoic desires to rule. We humans are supremely creative and also ruthlessly destructive. But those too are just human creations, linguistic descriptions of perfect actions, naturally interdependent, arising out of mutual causation, but in this case offered from a single person's individual viewpoint, good, bad, right, wrong, creative, destructive. Remember, awakening is stepping beyond a personal viewpoint. Self-centered dream only suffering, holding to self-centered, holding to an individual viewpoint, exactly the dream. The universe, this one we're in, is an equal opportunity employer. Everyone gets a chance, but everyone and everything has to play by the rules, which means that no matter what we think or wish, Everything always affects everything else intimately and without end. So it's probably a good idea to wake up to what we do, to the consequences of how we're doing it, how we actually live our lives. And herein lies the response to your friend's question. The point is to live and to live a life in the service of life to live in the service of life. Our purpose is to support and, and cherish this miraculous existence so that the 
ongoing perfection of impermanence and interdependence, mutual causality, the, the, the contingent flow of experience, this vast web of one thing arising might be wholesome and generative to all, not just all people, all life. We are all part of the game and how we play it matters profoundly. There is only one thing happening and it looks like this. Anywhere you look, you see the, the brilliant varied manifestation of this one thing happening, which can't be separated out. Of course, I realize I'm making my own assumptions in my reply in my letter, that there's no master manipulator calling the shots. There may or may not be some divine direction, but that's not what we're discussing here. And it opens up an additional discussion, actually, that's not required at the moment. The lawful interdependence of everything is what is in charge. The Dharma, which is that lawful interdependence, might be called by some the guiding energy of a god or great spirit or universal mind, but there again, these are additional human descriptions of what is always and already happening anyway. There is no perfect existence which exists out there somewhere which has been spoiled by humans. Humans do spoil things but that's also part of the immense fullness of existence, which includes clumsy and brilliant humans. And we are not more or less important than anything else in nature. However, because we have been giving these big brains, which can imagine and create almost anything, we have had an enormous impact on each other and everything else on this planet. So we have an immense responsibility to wake up. The point is to pay attention, to care, to love, and to be humble in the face of it all. The point is to pay attention, to care, to love, to be humble in the face of all of it. Ultimately, we don't really know. With a respectful bow, Flynn. So that was, that was my letter, my response, <clears throat> which ended up as, you can see it sort of be a bit of a little essay or dharma talk because I think I, I needed to write it out for myself to maintain my own clarity about what's the point on those days when I 
I, I can't find it in my feelings because I might feel despair, depression, numbness, dullness, anger, frustration. I might be able to think my way into it as I'm confused and overwhelmed or tired. And my body may not have the energy at times to feel robust and um, full of the life that I would like to live. So I have to remember, what is the point? And to sit in silence and stillness in our practices, we come back to the most simple elements, which remembers how, reminds us how to turn toward life in its most pared down way and to breathe and feel our aliveness and to remember the aliveness of everything around us. What is the point? The point is to live. The point is to live in service to others. The point is to be caring and humble and to love and to be awake. So hopefully you might have some things that you'd like to bring to this discussion also. And things that might be um, helpful to others to hear as you do, as I did in writing the letters, is trying to sort some things out. So if you'll raise your hand and Kim will help you come forward and we can talk a little bit. My buddy Peg. Well, ah. someone wanted to meet everybody. Yeah. Worry. So there, there's a reason to live life right there. He doesn't worry too much about what's the point. That's right. The point is to eat, to sleep, to be petted. Get a long walk. Yeah. She's yeah. pretty sweet. Little Jizo. Yeah, little Jizo. So I thought she wanted to meet all the folks on inquiry because Absolutely. And yeah. uh, and we all now are um <laughs> wanting to be able to feel that softness and smell that puppy breath and all she that. She is so soft. Yeah. 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 And she's very, very affectionate. <laughs> Great. Well, I can't wait to meet her in person. I know. I know. So anyway, I just wanted, wanted to give you all a, a That's little funny. vision. Yeah, yes, yes. <laughs> a little puppy vision. And help us remember. <laughs> these are the things that sometimes may be small things, but help us remember what the point is. Oh, yeah. To live life. Yes. to take care of things and be yes. taken care of by them. <laughs> yeah, so. Thank you. It's good to see your face in here. Good afternoon, you. everybody. <laughs> Give her a pet for us. make up when people are coming on like Chris is now that you're having to walk down some long hallway or something. It takes a while to arrive at the door <laughs> and to come in, you know, then there you are. Yes. <clears throat> I don't have the fastest computer in town. Well, boy, did you hit my issue? 
smack on. Yeah. Um, one of my cats is declining and um, her time could come anytime. Um, and when you talk to anyone, especially vets, about when is it time to end an animal's life, they're always looking at quality of life, which is an, an impressive idea and impressively vague. I've watched a lot of animals go through this. I've helped a lot of animals through it. And I'm getting more and more uncomfortable with the idea of ending life prematurely, especially another being's life. So what I'm trying to look at is, is my cat in pain? And that's another difficult thing to read. Um, but just because she is dying and low and has almost stopped eating, I'm, I'm still very uncomfortable with the idea of using my agency to end her life. Mm -hmm. If it's to relieve a lot of suffering, yeah, that tips the balance, but that doesn't seem to be the linchpin in this case. And I'm, I have this responsibility. To me, it's an enormous one. And I don't, I, I'm very uncertain what to do. That's the sort of con of pet ownership, isn't it, in this case? Yeah. Because there isn't an answer, like I said, because our spiritual practices don't give us answers. It shapes the way that we come to any answer. And that's what she's helping you do. She's bringing forward these questions deeply every moment with every breath with every morning you wake up to see how she is and how is her life shaping yours right now because it's she's asking these deep questions by her existence and there's no one that can tell you the right thing to do of course that would be foolish uh, or for someone especially to like convince you of their position about it's not not the point but as you you have a capacity, because I know you, to sit with these things and let all the possibilities bubble up and move through you. Mm -hmm. And there's a refining quality to that process that she and you share as you live together. You'll think of things, you'll feel things, you'll have responses, but your living together is actually the real Thing, if you want to call it a thing, they will help you together come to a place that you'll know what to do or not to do. Ultimately, she will die perfectly fine. She will die successfully. But you're, the way that you live together 
and attune to each other, like you've always done, and respond to each other will help you decide how to do this part of the dance, just like you did the other parts. But the, to abstract it and to think about it and then apply it is a different thing. Of course, you'll do those things. You're human. But she's going to be impacting your heart and your body, not just your mind. And you'll be doing the same with her. Just like we all do all the time. Well, I think that answer just made things harder. <laughs> That's the problem, isn't it? <laughs> because what we long for, like I said, was some, we want to grasp for certainty or an answer. Yeah. Because we want to steer away from the ditch of despair and nihilism. So we want to have consolation or we can grasp an answer. But those ditches are not the road. You know, certainty, which cuts you off from the actuality of life. Yeah. And actually nihil nihilism and despair, another kind of certainty. There is nothing that, that cuts you off from life. To stay in life takes much more courage. That's why we have spiritual practices. And that's why they're done together. It's too hard to do alone. Yeah. And your relationship with your cat is no different, really. You're sitting together, living together, eating together, breathing together, attending to each other. You have more responsibility in this case. That's the difference. If I were sitting with a dying friend, my friend has the agency. And in this case, I have the choice to use my agency or not. And with even dying friends, with my father when he was dying, we don't have the kind of choice that we seem to give ourselves with our pets, certainly, no. But there are choices about medical directives and um, resuscitation and yeah. the use of pain medic, you know, all those things which make a difference. And it's, you can think about it, but when you're actually doing it. When my sister, when it was time to begin to administer morphine and my sister by the hospice directives and all of that, by everything that we decided, just gently to help with the agitation and pain. She gave him the first dose and she was kind of in charge. And I said, you can't do this alone. Mother needs to give him the next dose. And even though I can't be there physically, walk me through it, I'll do the next one virtually. And his best friend will come over and do the next one. Otherwise it's on one person. Yeah. You find your way together. Just like you're doing right now. You're sharing this with a lot of people. Yeah. And saying it out loud so you're not alone. <laughs> doing what doesn't have a right answer. But it's the answer that you and she will shape together. And you do have more agency. That's true. That's just the way it is. It's part of the deal. Let me know how it goes.
There she is. Hi, Flint. Hi. Hi. So um, first, I wanted to thank you before you started talking about what's the point about bringing in the imagination because, and it kind of fits in with my question, but I have been using my imagination in my practice, but I kind of didn't know if it was right or wrong and I'll bring my question in later, but it's been very helpful because what was helping me concentrate on my breath was the imagination of many people together. And I have many different visualizations that are really helping me stay on it. Um, the question was, I had to write down, um, how does one set aside the question of what's right and wrong in practice and, and find a more meaningful way of observing what we're thinking, what we're doing, what we're feeling? I think it's not a matter of setting it aside. I think it's a matter of holding it actually really close. Okay. As human beings, we're going to ask those questions. And as we hold them close, uh, like I was just speaking with Chris, and let them keep whispering answers to us, or sometimes not so, um, we sit with it and over time, we find ourselves somewhere. You know, it's like little GPS guiding us as we hold them close. If we push them away, it's like we're trying to abstract ourselves out of life. But our, our point is to plunge in and to appreciate life, not to back up too far. There's a, um, a beautiful uh, poem written by the third Zen ancestor. Uh, the title in Chinese is called the Shen Shen Ming. Uh, H-S-I-N, H-S-I-N-M-I-N-G. And there are many translations of it. The translation that we often use is uh, starts, the first line says, the great way is not difficult for those who are unattached to their preferences. Let go of longing and aversion and everything will be perfectly clear. It goes on and this, it starts to set up all these dualities and it keeps pulling out, pulling out, pulling out. It, <clears throat> at one point it says, don't keep searching for the truth. Just let go of your opinions. But it doesn't say step back from life. Keep them close. I, I was, um, I, I gave you a little example of something that related to practice that I was just wondering, was, was it, should I do this? Or should, and it had to do with um, the big storm that happened one of the days of, of, um, of the inquiry. Isaiah's and my beautiful garden that I had out there it was like during the, you know before the inquiry it was just storming out there so I had protected I brought a lot of things in and but it was very noisy and there's only one place in my apartment where I could be with the inquiry and not hear all of, but I was also very frightened by the storm mm -hmm. so I went into the inquiry closed the door it was lovely came out and two of my big plants had fallen over and I said, you did the wrong thing. You were supposed to be present, you, you know, for your plan. And then uh, that was the first thought. So I brought them in. I fixed them up. And then I said, but maybe you were taking refuge. Mm -hmm. so, so that was the, the, you know, the getting mixed, getting tangled in uh, that, that kind of thing. And the, the truth is we make our choices 
their consequences. And then we make a new choice and go on to the next thing. We clean it up. Mostly we clean up. <laughs> Hopefully we don't make things worse. And it doesn't get better than that. That's how it goes. Thank you. Yes, thank you. Hello. Hi, Flynn. Hi. Good to see you. Good to see you. I've, first of all, um, what you talked about today was very touching and really, really reached me. Um, and I wondered if you might share your letter. Oh, uh -huh. the content of that? Uh -huh. I don't mm -hmm. mind. I took a lot um, of notes, but um, I'm trying to think how I would do that where it'd be accessible. Um, I can put it on my blog, and then you could just okay. go there and see it. That'd be fine. That'd be very, very nice. Okay. Um, one of the things I've been thinking about a lot is that uh, in Wisconsin, we're getting signs that winter's coming, mm -hmm. and so my mind has has. Um, began to really jump around and become very fearful. And normally we go to Mexico in the winter, so we've avoided it. Oh, uh -huh. But we don't have our own place, so it isn't really safe for us right. to go down there. So we're going to spend the winter here. And um, my friend Aline came over this morning and we were talking about sitting out on my back porch with the windows open, <laughs> talking. And uh, so, well, anyway, the idea of meeting, meeting life and, and just taking care of our precious life it means, I think, to collapse this a little bit and bring it into me But it sure is hard. <laughs> that third line of the four practice principles, you know, each moment, life as it is, mm -hmm. the only teacher, if, we, if we're paying attention and staying close and not getting caught in our self-referenced point of view. And so when you start freaking out, you realize that you're narrowing down. It's important to pay attention. You live in a place where winter can kill you. <laughs> I mean, that's kind of a crazy thing, but you know, it's, it's an inconvenience at the least and can be dangerous at the worst. And so it's something to deal with. That's true. And in these times, you know, we're, 
we're more isolated. I mean, going outside and walking and playing golf and and being in the garden and all that are wonderful Mm -hmm. now. Yeah. And life will be different. And so you'll find what the fullness of life is in a new context, because it's always a new context, always, every day, every moment. It sure is. And you find the fullness of life in every moment. That's, that's our path. You know? And appreciate each moment, appreciate your life, rather than having the life you appreciate and the other parts you don't appreciate. Yes, yes. So thank you. You're welcome. My Zumi Roshi, who was one of the first generation of um, Japanese teachers who came to the United States and established the um, um, Los Angeles Zen Center, his, uh, the, the book of his talks is called Appreciate Your Life. That was his main teaching. Main teaching. Mm-hmm. Hi, Joan. Hi, Flint. Well, I hope I can uh, get through this. It's kind of a tender time right now. Um, you know, I've just uh, been having things going on. Uh, and uh, I was fortunate to have two very committed parents. And I have two wonderful sisters who uh, we are terribly close. And we get together once a week and talk now on Zoom and did yesterday. And I brought up this thing our parents did that... Um, one thing that was good about them is they did things in unison. They didn't work against each other. They were both very devoted Christians. That was inconscionable. And um, I was preschool and, and one was 12 and one was um, 15. It was with a, a pet. And uh, so I was talking it over with them and you know, we all saw it the same. And uh, what was so um, interesting is that we have no blame. I mean, it's, it's just like, it's inexplicable that these two fine people could have made this decision. And, and, uh, I have just wept deeply since. And you know, it was over 60 years ago mm-hmm. and it still haunts me. And then later today, um, I was thinking about something I did uh, as uh, a professional. I had an employee who lost a significant other and I, you know, I responded well for then, but now I can see that I could have done so much better a job. And I'm going, what is going on? Why am I digging up these things from decades ago? You know, and, and, and then I realize my practice is to turn toward it, that it's going to keep bedeviling me until I understand it better. And that's so frustrating because only I can do that. You know, I can't turn to you and say, tell me what's wrong with me. Yeah. Uh, and I don't know that I know the answer, but when I was doing the rope chant with you, 
what came to me was it was allowing me to get to my compassion for these situations that were good people just done badly. You know, if they, they just it, done badly with what all is going on now. And to maybe have a little more compassion um, with the um, disarray and, um, you know, <laughs> bad acting that is, is going on now. Everybody is suffering, certainly, or large numbers of people are suffering. But like Chris brought up with his cat, some people have more responsibility in the situation. Yeah. And those that have more responsibility have the burden of trying to take care. And sometimes they're not doing that. You know, you're not digging these things up, Joan. You're opening yourself so they can bubble up and float up uh, because they require attention. And grief doesn't have an expiration date. We can grieve deeply as you are for some of these things now. Uh, but also, it, um, until it is met and shared and witnessed by another, it doesn't seem to metabolize. It doesn't digest. It doesn't transform. So for you and your sisters to speak of these things, not because you're going to get an answer, because they can be spoken of. And like it wasn't out of anger. Yeah, you know, there was. We weren't blaming our parents, and you know, it's just how how did this happen? Well, and that's that's kind of like the bigger reflection on life. How did this happen? Yeah. yeah. This whole thing. That's why we say, "All oh, my ancient, twisted, entangled karma." How I? But I have to admit, I have to turn toward it. Some of it isn't even mine. And yet here I find myself. And unless I'm willing to do that, and that's why it's at the beginning of our service, unless I'm willing to turn in that direction, then I'm not going to move any further. And it will break our hearts, but it'll also open our hearts, you know, the metaphor we use all the time, uh, to each other. And then we can feel the compassion that you're talking about, uh, not as a Thing that lets anybody off the hook, but it doesn't add more hooks in the situation, you know. Well, and better to respond with compassion than anger. And compassion to the parts of you who get angry. <laughs> and blaming, yeah. It's never it's never ending. We continue to turn, continue to turn. It's all everything belongs. Thank you for your wholehearted expression of these things in a very real, personal way. These are the things that make a difference. And I value you and value the way you're communicating this. Apamata offers us such wonderful ways of being. <laughs> Thank you.
Hi, Susan. You're muted still. Mute, okay. There you go. Um, oh, you look like my hibiscus back here. Well, um, I wanted to tell you that um, the, your homily today, your, your talk was very, very profound and necessary. And it was totally elevated by the sounds of the birds that I could hear. Oh, could you hear them? <laughs> yeah, it was wonderful to hear them. It reminded me of being there a year ago and experiencing that path full of birds. Anyway, it was an addition that was uh, just ornamented the, the experience. <clears throat> the other thing I wanted to share for the lovely lady in Madison is that um, we here in, in Texas have also experienced a little bit of the autumnal tilt and are so grateful and so enjoying what's going to come for us, which is the opposite of what they are going to be going through. And um, I wanted to say, <laughs> you can make it, it's okay. You, you'll figure it out, it's not easy. But um, the joy of, of, of having the ability to sit in a backyard and open a door is uh, really great. And I wanted to share that and say, don't, don't lose heart. Mm -hmm. The planet keeps, keeps coming around the sun. That's part of the other uh, never ending, at least from our perspective. Right. It's yeah. just, just going to happen and um, enjoy it as much as you can. And um, It's so good to see you, your smile and to feel your energy. Oh, I, thank you. Thank you. I, I think it's partly because of uh, we're going to experience a cold front tomorrow, but um, that it's now uh, the heaviness of the season is lifting a little bit. And uh, I see or understand what creatures we are, as well as what creative and horrendous mm -hmm. things we do. We are animals and respond to this. And so it's, I'm just happy to be in response to the, the weather. So thank you for letting me share that. Thanks for blooming and coming forward so we can enjoy you. <laughs> oh, my pleasure. Bye. Uh, we just have a couple of minutes, but maybe there's, um, might be able to do just a, one more connection here. When I, uh, back in the old days when we were in, in person, I would say this is the lightning round, the small bit at the end, but I wanted to make sure, oh, Sheila, I haven't seen you in a long time. There you are. Unmute. There can you are. I can't. Hello. It's been a long, long time. Long time, no see. Yeah. I'm, am I on? You are. I got you. I'm, I'm block my little sign is blocking you though. I like to see you. Okay. The host has asked you to start your video. Okay. Well, I want you. I want to see you. How do I do that? Uh, you might have uh, up in the top right corner if you're on a computer the speaker view or okay speaker view. Or, there uh, gallery view. If you've been on gallery, you can see everybody. Both of us. No, I'll stay with speaker view because I'd rather yeah. see you. Okay. <laughs> What's up? Yeah. We got a sign in front of it. Anyway, I am so glad. I've been joining y'all for quite a while and I haven't had the courage to raise my hand. 
but nobody was in queue. So I thought, well, if nobody's in queue, I better take advantage of it. It's just strange. I love hearing all you say. And today, for some reason, I'm just crying all the time. When Charles talked, I cried and cried with him about his cat. I read a book this week. I cried the whole last 13 chapters. And there are moments when we just leak all the time, huh? My sweet brother is in the nursing home. He's younger than I and responsible for him. And I'm aging fast. I mean, I know we're all aging, but I'm aging fast. And I'm scared I'm not going to be able to take care of him. Yeah. And, when I, and he doesn't talk. He's almost like autistic. And when I told him, you know, that I cried in those last 13 chapters, I said, you think your sister's crazy? And he said, no, just tune in. That's right. He said, just tune in. And it made me think maybe he wants that or something. So I'm, I know our time is up. And so I'll just, I'll just try to sit with it like you tell everybody. Just, just yeah. go with it, face it, and go into it. There's a line I remember from uh, Camus. He said, live to the point of tears. If you live fully, it's not, it's not that things are horrible. It's that there's so much that we overflow when we actually allow ourselves to feel the poignancy and the beauty and the everythingness. There's so much. Sometimes as we get older, it's all there, you know. Thank you for bringing that for us, too. Anyway, and so I just, I love all the people that speak and you, and it's wonderful. Thanks, Sheila. Good to see you. So we'll um, end as we do uh, with our final verses to remind us of the heart of practice. Caught in the self-centered dream, only suffering, holding to self-centered thoughts, exactly the dream. Each moment, life as it is, the only teacher, being just this moment, compassion's way. Caught in the self-centered dream, only suffering, holding to self-centered thoughts, exactly the dream. Each moment, life as it is, the only teacher, being just this moment, compassion's way. Caught in the self-centered dream, only suffering, holding to self-centered thoughts, exactly the dream. Each moment, life as it is, the only teacher, being just this moment, compassion's way. Thank you very much. I look forward to our connection uh, next week. And Kim? Appamata's programs and facilities are supported through your generosity. Your support makes a huge difference. There's a link for contributions on the website at appamata.org slash contribute. Thank you.